everybody. Welcome to the Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I am Chris. Yam actually stands for Young Adult Ministry. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about college and young adult ministry and how to effectively do that. Yeah. And the music in our episode is from our lovely friend Brian Nielsen and James DeWall. He just makes us sound so good. Okie dokie, Gideon, episode 10, also called Jerob Baal. But nobody goes by that. Are we excited about this one? I love Gideon. I'm excited because it's a Sunday school thing that people think they know the story, but they don't. So let's talk it through. Well, and I would say after Samson, he's probably the most well-known judge. Yeah. And they're both trash bits. Well, they do... They do good things at different times. I would say, anyway. So, so well, did Osama bin Laden, I'm sure. Oh well, you can't just always call some everyone a trash bit because of. I'm just saying, don't you think do. that bad people sometimes do good things? And you're like, wow. Well, I don't good know. people do bad things. Do you think Osama bin Laden ever like walked in a lady across the street and everyone's like, oh, see, maybe he's not that bad. Maybe. That's what this could be. All right, basic storyline of Gideon. Gideon is a shadyish character. That's, that's the word I'm going to use. Up until now, like we've talked about, uh, you know, in Judges 4 and 5, the judges have benefits, things that they do that are good. But there's, there's going to be this growing sense over the next few judges. They're shadier and shadier. They do more stuff at night, which is kind of like a wink, wink. Hey, they're coming at night. So that's they're, shady. They're, yeah, there's mm-hmm. shady going on. And... What's amazing is he's a shady-ish character who's one of the most famous people in the Bible. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, up until this point, all of the – there hasn't really been a negative that any of the judges have done thus far that's been noted at least. No, it's all been like underhanded stuff. So Othniel, his his wife is the one who actually asked for the springs when he could have. Ehud is a left-handed dude. Yeah. Right? Shamgar – Uses an ox goat. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> that is good. Right? Deborah is the judge, but Deborah is not the one that actually goes to the battle, and mm-hmm. neither one of them are the ones that win the battle. Jael does that. But it doesn't seem like any of them are the reasons that Israel ends up being led astray again. You know, like the cycle cr- um, completing itself. Correct. So, for following the basic storyline of judges, this is the beginning of really moving in a bad direction. And it's Mostly because of Gideon and who he ends up being. So here's some of the things that Gideon does. Here's, oh, Gideon. Here's kind of like the low list of what Gideon accomplishes. He questions God. He tests God. He does fight valiantly, which is yay, but only fights valiantly after he gets confirmation from a weird dream thing that's happening yes. down in the camp. Then he is confronted by Ephraim, and he confronts Ephraim back by saying, Oh, what am I compared to you? You're so much better. That's kind of a wussy thing to say. So he's like the kid at the in the you know the schoolyard that's getting beat up by a bully. He says no to being a king, and we're like, yay! But <laughs> the response to that is he takes tribute and builds an ephod, and that's going to be played out in our next episode of Judges when we really get into his son does some really creepy things with this ephod. That's that's where this is going to go. So an ephod is just a fancy. Garment of some sort, you know, that you'd wear to fancy parties. <laughs> they, fancy parties. Yeah. He wouldn't actually wear this at all, I don't think. This is more of just like, I have a lot of gold. I'm going to build an ephod out of it, and I'm going to stick it in my house and let everyone see it. 
So that's the basic storyline of Gideon. We know the story because Gideon starts with 32,000 people. That gets cut down to 10,000 people. Those 10,000 people get cut down to 300 people. Those 300 people light up a bunch of lamps and blow a bunch of trumpets and win the battle somehow. Yeah, these are the warriors. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So we know the story. What's amazing is it's it's actually tied to the last one in a number of different ways. So we'll talk about this in some of the deeper dive stuff, but there's there's some tie-in with the Gideon... Midian thing, the the Kenite situation where the Israelites are hiding is is a key, and along with that, there's just sort of this this growing sense of there's some weirdness going on in the land of Israel, and it's all happening around Mount Tabor, that little belly bottom mountain that I talked about mm-hmm. in, in the episode where we talked about Judges four and five. So that's the basic storyline of Gideon. He sort of calls a bunch of people to battle with him. They show up. They're excited to fight with him. They cut the troops down to 300. He wins the battle. But as he's winning the battle, the Ephraimites come into the to the mix. They decide to fight as well. And then the Ephraimites are mad that they didn't get invited into the battle because so far in Judges, if you haven't noticed yet, they keep showing up to fight because they're like good fighters. They're warriors. Mm-hmm. And so they get all upset. And he's like, oh, it's not a big deal. And then everything's fine. What's amazing is there's this storyline that you don't even see yet starting to to build. And when we get to Jephthah, the Ephraimites are actually going to start a civil war within Israel. And it's the first of the civil wars that we're going to see in the book of Judges. So just to kind of highlight that, this is the basic storyline here. Gideon's got problems. You don't necessarily see him. Uh, He's got way more than 99 problems. And (laughs) Ephod is one of those problems. Is that fair? Yes. So that's the basic storyline of Gideon. Now it's time for the deeper dive. I've got three main things to talk about today with the deeper dive, all of them dealing with Gideon and how much of an idiot he is. I say this, I say this in a nice way. Gideon, yes, he wins the battle. Yes, Gideon is a decent judge in some ways, but Gideon's an idiot. So let me explain why. I have actually heard pastors, and this, this, this might be one of the reasons why we have issues with our young adults in the world, because they're like, the church is out of touch and it's stupid. I've heard pastors try to say that Gideon did the right thing in testing God and asking God uh, to, do for, all those to do the signs. Mm-hmm. So here's how it starts. The angel of the Lord appears. Gideon is hiding in a wine press. Which was common for them. Threshing grain. They're right? hiding it because they, the Midianites are, are taking all their stuff. Mm-hmm. So as any good kid would do, if your stuff's getting taken, you hide it from everyone else. I right? mean, hello, in any household. Correct. You want the last of the whatever, you find a little corner and put them there. I've had siblings that found toys years later, and they totally forgot that they put it in this spot. <laughs> and as we're moving, we're like, oh my goodness, this is where that was the whole time. So the angel Lord shows up. He's hiding the grain. The angel Lord starts talking to him and Gideon's just kind of thinking, I'm not that big of a deal. Why are you asking me? I can't do this. Why are you calling me a mighty man? That's a start. That's not a good thing. I mean, it's very Moses-esque. Right. There's a number of characters in scripture like this. And so there's there's almost a sense of like, maybe he's humble, but you got to read it closely to see. This is a little bit of humility, a little bit of like chicken. Insecurity. He's running. He's running from the situation. Then to top it all off, God says, I'm going to send you to go to do this. He goes at night to destroy the the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. So he does it at night because he's not even he's not even like with it to do it during the day. It says the Lord is with you, and he chooses not to take the words Lord or the, the Lord's word with it, and he chooses not to destroy those things with the Lord's power. He just 
chooses to do it at night because he's afraid of how everyone's going to respond. Mm-hmm. The next day when they all respond, he sends his dad out to talk to them as opposed to him deal with them. So she'd already be feeling a little bit like Gideon's not... Gideon acts like me. <laughs> click, yeah, he's not clicking in the way he probably should. Like, I would totally do it at night and send somebody else to deal with the issue. <laughs> then God says, I'm definitely going to have you go do this. And so Gideon's response is, let me just test that by putting the fleece out. And if the fleece is damp, then I know that this is you. If everything else is dry, but the fleece is damp, then we're good. God does that. And then the next day he's like, can you do the exact opposite thing? And then I'll know it's for sure you. And God's like, fine. Fine. So God does that. Then God wipes out the troops from 32,000 down to 300. He just keeps, you know, the first one he says, who's afraid? And all the people run away. <laughs> That's 22,000 people run away. <laughs> then he's down to 10,000 troops and Gideon's got to be kind of like, oh, I don't like this. So then God's like, go down to the, the, you know, the river, whoever drinks a certain way versus another way, go ahead and send them home. And the 300 people are left. Gideon's probably, I'm not, I don't like this God. I can't believe you're doing this. So Odds God, are not in my favor. So then God says, I want you to go down to the camp and I want you to check this out yourself. See what they're saying. So Gideon goes down to the camp, and it's a really weird situation. I don't know if you've thought much about this, mm-hmm. but there's two Midianite soldiers standing there going, oh, I had a dream last night. Oh, I had a dream too. What was your dream? Oh, I, I totally found out the Israelites destroyed us. And this is, oh, there's no other way that could be besides Gideon. Gideon's got to be the one that does it. There are some scholars that have pointed out, I don't know that any Midianites would actually be having that conversation. So it's possible God's like, Gideon is still freaking out. Let's send two let's of the angels happen. down there and let's just do this. Or, <laughs> or yeah, they're I like, we got to dress up like Midianites? What does that even mean? And God's like, just, just do it. Just it'll, look it'll at them, be, yeah. find them clothes. That's one possibility on. of how to read the story. The other one is just that God was just so overwhelming to the Midianites that he's like giving them nightmares every night. And he's dropping names like Gideon, Gideon, Gideon. And the next day they're just talking about it. They just happen to be talking about it right when Gideon gets down to the camp. And then Gideon goes, surely the Lord has given us to given them into our hands. We should go fight this battle. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, Gideon, have you been paying attention from the beginning of the story when the angel of the Lord showed up and said, the Lord is with you. You're a mighty warrior. Go fight. Mm -hmm. And up until now, you you string all that together. Gideon is constantly testing God. He doesn't trust what God has said about him. He doesn't trust what he's capable of doing in God's power. And so really she'd read the story of Gideon as God's just being gracious to this guy who's an absolute dork. I always find it interesting that an angel comes. So I don't know... If the angel looks very much like a human, so it's like, I don't know if I can trust this, but they should be radiant, right? Mm-hmm. And then people are like, who are you? How can I believe you? Like I think of like Zechariah mm-hmm. and other people that, yeah, they come in contact and they're like, how can I believe this? How can I have, can I have a sign? And it's like, your sign is right in front of you. You've got an angel talking to you, you know? Unless they've cloaked some of the radiance, Mm -hmm. which is what many have said. So it's a great point. You should know that it's the angel of the Lord. Like you've not seen this guy in your camp before. Right. I mean, granted, I don't know if they know everybody, but he probably doesn't look like he's from there. No. So you hear, ding, ding, ding. Plus you're threshing grain in a wine press. And some random. So you look over and you're like, oh, what's up, man? How <laughs> Why long are you, you here? How long have you been there? Like, uh, five seconds. When did you get here? I just flew down. Wait, just, from where? Bing. The presence of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. This is incredible. But yeah, they yeah. all are like. Do you have a message for me? Yeah, go fight the battle. God's going to be with you and take it. 
sweet. Let me do 30,000 tests first to make sure that everything's <laughs> Are you good. Sure? Yeah. Uh, I just want to be absolutely positive. Can you uh, turn do the Do it mount- again. Can you make this Mountain Dew go inside out from the can and then back in? That'd be awesome. <laughs> Mountain Dew. We do this stuff all the time. It's don't we? so true. Where we're testing God and we're doing those ridiculous things. So, mm-hmm. so the first part of the deeper dive is that testing God is not good. You should not read this story and go, oh, what a good guy. You I should read signs. Right. You should read the story and go, mm-hmm. Gideon's an idiot. What am I doing here? That's the first one. Second thing is, and this is big, we kind of just talked about it briefly, but I, I want to really pull this out. Gideon does most of the big things that he does in this battle at night, whether that's taking down the, the Baal altar and the Asher pool, that happens at night. Gideon consults the Lord at night. He wants to know what the fleece is going to do overnight. Gideon goes down to the camp at night. At night. Gideon breaks the vase and, and blows the trumpets at night. Now, that one's strategically, that's the smartest of the ones, right? Yes. Because then you can see that you don't have 300 people in a hill. And they'd be confused. Right. And, and this is a hill that's just south of that mountain that I talked about in mm-hmm. Judges 4 and 5, Mount Tabor. So it's this weird, it's a plain, the plain of Jezreel right next to that. It's just this plain. And then all of a sudden there's just this circular mound in the middle of it that looks like an Audi belly button. Mm-hmm. And so when he calls all the people, it seems like they go to Mount Tabor and then they use that to their advantage. They go down to a mountain just south of that where the Midianites are camping out. They surround them. Then they break the vases and they do that. But I want you to notice when people show up at night, all throughout their whole story, there's a little bit of shade being thrown their way. And I'm I'm saying that somewhat intentionally, right? You know, I I know the joke with shade and night, like it's all kind of tied to it. (laughs) But by the book of John, for example, one of the beautiful strategies that the that John is using for us when we read his gospel is Nicodemus shows up at night Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the book. And at the end of it, Nicodemus is actually taking the body of Jesus in broad daylight to Joseph Arimathea's tomb. There's a character development there that you should be seeing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. The whole idea of light and dark is very, very obvious in that book. Yeah. Correct. And I'm not implying that, that he didn't show up at night the first time that I did not, I'm not implying that John made it up. I'm implying that John uses those details to sort of wink at us and say, I want you to see the development of this character. With Gideon, there is no development of this character. He doesn't ever, there's never a point where he's sort of just totally in charge of the situation in broad daylight. There's never a point where he's not kind of lurking at night doing weird things. So you should be leery of this character and you should be paying attention to the Bible. So my main point here with the deeper dive is, we should really be thinking through every single story that we read. We should stop and we should be processing and we should be looking at it going, what's interesting about this character compared to others? No one else has been mentioned that they're at night or anything else. Did you notice that mm-hmm. in the book of Judges so far? And all of a sudden, there's just tons of details about Gideon and it should make us think, hmm, why is he doing all this stuff at night? Maybe he's not that great of a guy. Maybe he's doing everything at night because there's, a, there's something in his character that we should be paying attention to and, and processing. So the fact that that's happening is a, is a thing. And, and as I mentioned before, I think the dream of the Midianites is a little suspect. I'm not saying that the Midianites aren't the ones down there talking. Please understand that I'm not, I'm not implying that that story didn't happen the way it's written. Mm-hmm. I'm more saying Gideon wouldn't know if they were Midianites or if they were an angel of the Lord or if they were Israelites that were dropped into the camp to like say something. It's possible the Lord was using different people to sort of accomplish the purposes. And those people when Gideon overhears what they're saying, it encourages him. And God's just thinking, finally, we're, we're there. Finally, we're to the point where Gideon gets it. Mm-hmm. Gideon's going to let this all go the way it's supposed to go. Uh, and I want to point out, too, that the Midianite thing is, you know, I pointed this out earlier in the episode, but I'll, I'll, I'll point it out a little more fully here. In the Judges 4 and 5 episode, we talked about J.L. being 
uh, from the Kenite line, and remember I attached the Kenites to the Midianites, there's something funky going on there. Isn't it interesting that right after the, the Kenite wins the battle for the Israelites, Jael kills the, the general with the stake through his mm-hmm. head. Isn't it interesting that the very next thing that happens is the Midianites are the ones attacking Israel? You see the connection. Yeah. So if the Kenites and the Midianites are connected, which it seems like they are, now you move to the next story, the Midianites are now the bad guy. That should make us go, huh, there's something interesting going on here. A Midianite just won the battle for them. Now the Midianites are the bad guys. On top of that, the Midianites are so uh, scary that the Israelites are sort of hiding out a little bit. There's a bit of a... Uh, there's a, a bit of a cheekiness to that as well, because remember, Jael's n- name means wild goat, basically, and goats hide in hills. Like when we were in Israel, uh, we went to this spot where uh, David kept running from Saul in the wilderness. And as we're walking through this area, there are goats everywhere. And in fact, that's what the, the place means. And Gedi means like house of goats or land of the goats. Mm. So you're there and you're just kind of checking it all out and there's these goats everywhere that just kind of pop up and then they like run up a hill and they stand on top of a rock and all this weird stuff. And it's interesting that the Israelites are sort of hiding out in caves, hiding out in, you know, like he's putting his grain inside of a wine press, he's hiding out. And it's all kind of attached, I think. There's there's something in the narrative that we're supposed to be looking at going, oh, it's interesting that this woman who's tied to the Midianites wins the battle. Now the Midianites are the bad guy. On top of that, she's named Mountain Goat you know, or wild goat. Mm-hmm. And now the Israelites are sort of acting like goats in the midst of the story. God wins the battle, beats the Midianites. And we're like, all right, sweet. We got another enemy that's been destroyed. And then we're going to go on with a whole bunch of other crazy stories um, going forward. So that's the second big thing. Uh, so testing God is not good. It's the first one. Second one is Gideon does most of his things at night. That should make us leery of the whole story. The third one, I, we don't have time to get into this fully. You know, I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours and hours, which we could do just talking about Sabbath rest. But one of the things that I want to point out, because this is the last character of this, this statement being made, and I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but in Othniel, it ended his story saying Israel had rest for 40 days. Mm-hmm. Not just Israel, but what did it say? The land, the land had rest for 40 days, which there's sort of this implication that because of Israel's sin, they've actually brought judgment upon the land and the land is hurting in some way. This this place that God has created, this this promised land. Remember we did the land episode yeah. you know, months ago now it feels probably was months ago. And the land episode just started talking about the, the promised land is a place where this this all is playing out, but it almost becomes its own character. And so the Israelites are bringing this sin onto the land. They're actually hurting the land. And what God does is he saves Israel and in so doing, he gives the land rest. He allows it to have the Sabbath that the land should have had in the first place, mm-hmm. but the Israelites aren't allowing that to be because their their rebellion is so bad. So Othniel, 40 years of rest. Ehud gives 80 years of rest. Shamgar, we don't have much about him. He doesn't say anything about how much rest comes along with him. Deborah, we get 40 years. Gideon, we get 40 years. The rest of the judges that we have, so here's all 12 of them. We're going to have Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jair, uh, Jephthah, Isban, Elan, Abdon, and Samson, most of the end of these guys are going to have about 20-year judgeships, but it doesn't say anything about the land having mm, rest. Interesting. Now, the reason why I wanted to point this out is there's there's a little weirdness going on here. And not to get super nerdy, but I'm just going to talk about it for a second. So, you know, if you want to fall asleep or turn off the podcast for a minute and then take a nap. If you're listening in your car, please don't fall asleep while you're listening to this part. Super, That'd be bad. Super nervous about people, you know, hitting the median or... Another car. Oncoming traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Pedestrians. 
All right. So here's the idea. And I, I sometimes I say that stuff just to try to build it up so people are like, ooh, this is really going to be boring. And then they're like, oh, that wasn't that boring at all. And I'm like, yes, mission My plan. Sorry, I just gave you away what I'm trying to do here. All right, here we go. There's something interesting about the timelines here. People make a lot of timeline things with the Bible. In fact, there are people in our church who have sort of developed like the plan for the end times and they've got all these things like they, they can tell you exactly when it's going to happen. All those dates have passed and nothing happened, that kind of thing. With, with the genealogies and with the timelines in the Bible, the Bible itself is sometimes doing things that can't possibly add up. And what happens with liberal scholars, and this is where I, the reason why I'm bringing this up is for college students and young adults who are, you know, judging the Bible and, and critique it, do that. But understand that I have an answer for your question here. When you look at the Bible and you start adding things up, sometimes it doesn't add up at all. So, for example, the late date of the Exodus, so the latest possible date that they would have left Egypt was 1450 B.C. We know that David lived around 100 or 1000 B.C. Sorry, not 100, but 1000. So between 450 B.C. and 1000 B.C., that's 450 years, okay? If you start adding up all the things that are happening between the Exodus and now, if you add up all of these 40 years, 80 years, 20 years, all that kind of stuff, and you try to cram all the genealogies together, you're going to end up way past the, the, the thousand date. That's just, that's just how it works out. Second, if the, if the early date to the Exodus, which would be 1250, and I'm probably saying that wrong. Actually, I think late means 1250 BC. Early date would be 1450 year. Yeah, so I totally messed that up. So 1450 is the late date. Or, or, sorry. 14, you, the BC gets confusing. Oh, yeah. It is confusing because it goes down to zero and then correct. we go back up. It's so, like a timeline. So early, it date, is early date would be the furthest one out. That's 1450 BC. 1250 BC is what we call the late date of the Exodus. Scholars are debating as to which one those two dates are. It doesn't totally matter which one you choose. But my point is if you choose the late date of the Exodus, 1250 BC, and you do the math there, you're only 250 years away from David. There's no way you can cram all this in. Mm -hmm. So what happens a lot of times is students will come to me and they'll go, I added all this stuff up and it doesn't add up. There's something wrong. The Bible's wrong. That's one way of looking at it. My better answer for you would be, I, I believe this is spiritually inspired. I believe the book of the, the Bible was written by people who were inspired by the Spirit. I believe the Bible was compiled by people who were inspired by the Spirit. I believe that the Bible was edited and all of that by people who were inspired by the Spirit. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a comment, Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. And it's no one's ever seen God face to face up to this day. That was clearly written hundreds of years potentially after Moses lived. That's okay. Someone edited that. They wanted to make sure that you knew how important a guy Moses was. However, when you start adding it all up, if it doesn't add up, maybe your answer should be, this doesn't add up. Maybe God's doing something interesting for me to think about. And I would suggest that with these lands of rest periods of time, mm -hmm. that's probably what's happening. 40 has a significant number, right? It's attached to the flood. It's attached to the wilderness wanderings. It's attached to all kinds of stuff in the Bible. And often what 40 is attached to is a period of time in which a test is given. And at the end of the time of test, you know whether the people are going to go for or against whatever's going on. Interesting, because I'm reading Exodus right now, and he's 40 days on the mountain. Correct. Meeting with God. There's a ton of them in Exodus. Mm -hmm. So he's 40 years old when he leaves Egypt. He's 40 years old when he meets the burning bush. He's 40, 40 years after that. So he's 40, 80, and then 120 when he dies. So 40 is like 
I have arrived. Correct. They're in the wilderness for 40 days, or, uh, or he's, he's on the mountain for 40 days. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. Like All of those things are connected, mm-hmm. and not in the sense of like, there's, a, there's numbers going on. No, it's, there's, there's a, like a mathematical something that you're supposed to just be thinking about. 40 is a sign of you've achieved the time of test. What is your answer going to be? And how does it go? Because after he comes down off the mountain for the first 40 days, <laughs> he finds out they've all been rebelling against God. He throws the commandment, the tablets, you know, yeah. the tablets, freaks out, goes back up for 40 more days. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it, there's something significant about the time. And here, Othniel gives them 40 years of, of peace. Ehud gives 80 years of peace, which would suggest the double portion. Why would Ehud have a double portion? Well, because Ehud killed a king, Eglon, who had received double portions and got very, very fat. So what does God do? God gives the land a double portion to save them because Eglon had misused the the territory. (laughs) Deborah gets 40 years. Gideon gets 40 years. And I think it's uber significant that when we get to Samson, Samson's going to get 40, not 40, but 20. He's going to judge for exactly 20 years, which shows us the nation of Israel starting to slip away from what it needs to be. They're not making it to that. Yes. So my point here is, if numbers don't add up, maybe instead of saying that the Bible's not real, you should say the numbers don't add up. Maybe there's something else going on that I should be mindful of and step back and just think, what would God try to be saying here? If we, we try to make it like the Bible made a mistake or God intentionally kind of did these things differently than you'd expect. So you actually stop and notice it. And when you notice it, you go, hmm, what do I do about this? Well, it kind of just reminds me of our yam snack where we talked about perspective. And yes. You are, you, and you started it with having, these are all the things that I believe are true. This is the lens from which I look right. at the Bible through. So when these things don't add up, I don't auto- automatically throw the book and say, it's false. I can't believe any of it. You, because you know these things to be true, you go at it with a, there must be something different here. It must not be what I'm thinking it is. Yeah. And two of my seminary professors said something very helpful to me. They said, if I have a question that doesn't add up, they put it in what they called their theological icebox. And how they described it is sort of like a fridge at the end of their mind where they stick an idea that they don't know how to answer and they just put it in there. Instead of doubting everything and throwing it all away because there's so much truth in it, there's, there's clearly, mm-hmm. clearly the issue is probably with me rather than the text or rather than with God. You put it in the icebox, eventually it gets answered and you're like, oh, that's what I was looking for. That's mm-hmm. the answer that I needed. I just didn't realize it existed. Or that theological icebox might be the kind of place that allows you to then go search those things out and you find the answer yourself and you're able to write an amazing book that everyone loves and thinks is amazing. Mm -hmm. All righty, let's get practical. Let's get practical. All right, so our first, I have a few things down, but um, the first thing I kind of wanted to point out, we didn't really read much of the actual scripture, but when I was going through it, one of the things that I found to be really interesting was in verse uh, six, no, sorry, verse 13 of chapter six, it says, and Gideon said to him, he's talking to to the angel, Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
I just find that interesting because I think we come at God with that all of the time. Well, if I have God, if I've prayed, if I've fill in the blank, why is all this happening to me? Why does my life seem crappy? Why are these people coming at me? Fill in the blank, whatever you think it is that God is doing to you. And I just find that interesting that Gideon's saying this exact same thing many, many, many years ago. Same issues. We all still have, as humans, the same issues with God. We think, well, I have him, so like everything should be hunky-dory and fine. And that is not what we are ever promised. But also, if Gideon really looks at his life, he realizes, I don't, I'm not, I don't have God with me. Like, I've basically kind of let him go, and I'm trying to do things on my own. That's why I'm hiding in this cellar. And if we really look at ourselves when we ask those questions, we realize, I don't really have God with me either. I just want him to do what I want him to do for me because I think he should be here for me rather than the other way around where it's me actually here for him. So I just find that, I just found that very interesting. Yeah, I've often talked to people about this. If, if God did everything the way we wanted it to be, that would put us in God's shoes. It's probably not the best place for us to be, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if I was fully in charge, the world would probably be really terrible. Yeah, I just heard a... Uh, One of the teachers that I work with was talking about one of her students who said, yeah, I've been praying for my grandma to get better. She's been really sick and she's not getting any better. So what's the use of praying? Which I'm like, that's pretty great of you to already be kind of like thinking that at this age. But then, yeah, there's the question. And the teacher handled it very well and was kind of like, but that's not the point of praying. The point of praying is laying it at the feet and letting God do what he would like Mm -hmm. you to do or like him what he thinks is best. So I was like listening to some of the teachers kind of talk about it. And I really liked their answer. I was like, good. We are kind of on the same track that like he's not going to answer how we always want him to. And he does always answer. It just might not be what we are wanting because it's not always about us. Right. So. No, that's good. Did you have another thing for Let's Get Practical? Um, I do. Um, I also really liked in 631, he kind of says, let me let me go to it and remind myself, like refresh Here, myself. Here, let me read it for you. Yeah, thank you. But Joash said to all who stood against him, this is uh, Gideon's dad, because he sent his dad out to talk to the people who were angry at him, because that's what every <laughs> boss, mighty warrior does. <laughs> that's so great. Hey, dad, they're scaring <laughs> me. Can, can you help you go, me? Can you go out and talk to the people? And so here's what Joash says. Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death in the morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. I just like, yeah, if he's a God, let him contend for himself. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it even has to do with, with our own, our God. Like, we feel like we have to defend. We feel like we have to justify. We have to explain him. And we don't. He explains himself. He does not need to be defended. And I just think that's even just for things in our life that, yeah, I just, I really liked that. If he is God, let him show himself. And we don't necessarily wrestle with this type of thing, with calling other things God in our life. But if we really look around, we do have that in our life. And we realize that it does not do for us what a God should do for us. Right meaning that it does not contend for itself. Right. What has Fortnite ever done for you? Let Fortnite contend for itself. All Fortnite's ever done for me is watching my chi- my little, not children, my right. students right. do the dumb dances. Exactly. Right. What have Doritos ever done for you? Let Doritos contend for themselves. Some of the things that we get so excited about in life. Mm-hmm. 
I love that those were the two you came up with. Dorito's well, has some good commercials, though, sometimes. I, just, I will say. I'm speaking for, like, the college and young adult yeah. male who likes playing games and eating Doritos. And you already talked about Mountain Dew. Man, that's like the trifecta. It really is. <laughs> I was 20 once. A long time ago. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's so mean. I'm oh, just kidding. But I really think also what needs to be taken is that God is... I think that is what is taken is God is patient with Gideon. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel like there's a ton to learn from Gideon. Maybe the the things not to do. Mm-hmm. But I, and I never knew those things until I did a study on him by Priscilla Shear, uh, like five years ago, and it was phenomenal. So if you ever if you want to do a study on Gideon, she does not paint him in this glorious light that we we always did in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I never knew that. The things that he did even because I was like up until that point of after the battle, I was like, oh, he's not that bad. And then when they're like, oh, hey, you should be our ruler. And he's like, no, let God be your ruler. And I was like, yes, Gideon. And then he's like, but wait, I want all of your gold. We're going to make it into this awesome dress thing that I'm going to wear like a shield or something. And then everybody's going to know who's cool. And it's me. I won't be like, your what? I won't be your king, but I would love for you to take all your earrings off and give those to me. Oh, yes. it's seventeen hundred shekels worth of earrings. I wonder if I can make myself a dress for that. Oh, look, I can. I'm awesome, and I'm going to. Yeah. So, I think really what is taken from it is that God uses anybody, mm-hmm. and He kind of still makes His plan happen, even if they're insecure. And even if they lack a ton of confidence and faith, I would I would say that he really just lacks faith. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. truly know who God is and what he's capable of. Um, and the pride that he ends up with at the end, I think, is crazy. I think that's even what you see. He has no pride in the beginning. And then at the end, he is beyond prideful, which is crazy to see. Right. And when you think about Paul, Paul says, I will boast in nothing if not for the Lord. That's the that's what you want to see in somebody who's following mm-hmm. the Lord. Gideon's just not that guy. Yeah, Paul's like all of those credentials that I had. He says this in Philippians are rubbish, like p- compared to knowing right Christ. Whereas this guy's like, yeah, look at me, I've got my ephod on. Like that's not the same. So, ladies, if you're ever on a date and you say to someone, "Hey, first of all, you know, are you wearing an ephod?" If they say yes, run. If second, if that you, is a red flag. Which, by the way, those like sweater things that people are wearing these days—that's kind of an ephod. What sweater things? Those things that are like just mid thigh. Worship boys wear them a lot when they're on stage. You know so just talking? like a really long shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's an ephod. All right. The other. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. All right. Second thing. Okay. Seriously though. Or also, if they're wearing ripped pants. Seriously, <laughs> those boys are fine. Just, but if you say to them, "Who's your?" Like, if you could compare yourself to any character in the Bible, what character would that be? And if they say, oh, I think I'm Gideon, run. Well, just have some good questions for him. Run. Because no. he needs to be sharpened to... Run. Run to Mount Tabor. <laughs> maybe, just ha- maybe just be friends out. with him and spur no. him on towards Christ. No, this okay. is where I'm going to... I'm going to play <laughs> the the card that says, no, just get out. Red Red card flag get out bye go oh that's funny okay it's everyone's favorite time it's your favorite app on your phone enneagram 
All right. Is it an app on your phone? No, I don't think so. Maybe I'll look this time. I don't know. I don't have Mm. an app on my phone for Enneagram, but I might look. Maybe there would be. So the only person we have to talk about today is Gideon. I don't know if you've noticed that that's who we've talked about this entire episode. And he's a really great guy. Oh, the greatest. Um, So all of his things that he is doing... It really makes me think that um, that he is a six. So sixes are usually plagued with doubt and in and kind of like insecurity. They always are thinking of what, like the worst case scenario, what could happen. Now, I also don't want to say that sixes are all bad because they're really not. They like you need to have sixes in your life that can actually see the possible consequences because sometimes we don't see those things in our life. We just go full steam and then we're like, oh, why did it end up like this? And a six is like, I knew it was going to end up like that. So they're not always bad, but here he's letting all of that get in the way. So, I mean, he shows doubt that he cannot do it. He he needs a sign that God is speaking to him when he literally has an angel right in front of me. Um, does Yeah, so he... I mean, but he also is certain at times because I know he does it at night, but he still cuts down the pole and is obedient. But then he needs the sign afterwards, which I think is crazy, too. He right. actually is obedient. And then he's like, wait, I need another sign. So it's almost like for each step, he needs another sign, which is very, which is kind of like a six. A six is like, OK, I've, I've done this. I did that. I'm good. But then when you're going to ask them to do something else again, they are going to need more not more assurance, but just they're going to need to know that it's all going to be good. And every single time he, for every different step, he kind of needs that assurance again that it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. So I would say, I would say that he, that these things make it look as if he could be a six on the Enneagram. But also once they do figure it out, they're usually, as they are, they're called a loyalist. They're they are loyal to the end. So mm-hmm. we also said Moses was kind of a six because he does become loyal to the end, doesn't ask any other questions. Whereas Gideon does still ask questions and does still, you know, question in his mind. But I also think maybe he just becomes loyal to himself at the end. Well, and we were joking about the ephod thing, but he doesn't he doesn't actually worship the ephod. Now, it's, mm, it's yes. kind of a bogus move that he makes it in the first place. It's bogus. He takes everybody's gold to do it. And bogus kids was a word in the 80s that was a really big deal. So he's he's totally that, but yet at the same time, he's loyal to the Lord. It's not until after his death that the ephod starts to get worshipped and okay. it gets really, really weird. So you're totally on the right track. I think he's very, very loyal. And once he's made up his mind, he's like, I'm in. Let, mm-hmm. Let's go. It just took the angel, right. the fleeces... The dream. So ladies, it took a little back bit. to my point. If he's wearing an ephod, run. If he says his character of the Bible that he, he equates himself to the most is Gideon, run. If he says that he's a six, run. <laughs> no. Uh, That's all I'm hearing from you. No, I said. That's there's what I hear. Not, sixes are extremely loyal. Everyone there's, remember, I'm no. right here. No. Eric is wrong. No. Okay. Also, I mean, also, if he says he's like Moses early on in his life, run. Moses That's, later on? That's right. Okay. So Early you, on, you can marry him if he's 110 years old. Yes, still wandering in the desert with a bunch of people that he's he wishes yes. he was more in charge of. That's exactly right. Deal. All right, time for the yam spot. I think this time it, it's kind of a nuance of what we talked about last time, and I, I want to pull it back because this this is a significant idea that we talked about early in the episode that I really want you to process. 
have a theological icebox. If you are a college leader, if you are a young adult ministry leader, if you are a college student or, you know, high school student and you're beginning to read scripture in depth and you're starting to get into it and you're just, you're starting to realize that some things don't add up the way you would like them to. Can I just beg you, don't abandon the faith. As we mentioned last time, there are a ton of good resources out there that will help you process some of this stuff. There are scholars galore who are actually doing really good work showing you that Bible's the Bible is legit. You can put your faith in it. But beyond that, put stuff in your theological icebox. One of the best examples I heard of this, late 1800s, they couldn't find uh, the four rivers from the Garden of Eden, so they had no idea what to do there. They were freaking out. Put it in your theological icebox. 60, 70 years later, you're doing sonar over the Middle East, and all of a sudden you find out there are, lo and behold, all the rivers are right there. Everything's attached. You're good to go. So, folks, it is possible to just let all of that sit. If you put it in your theological icebox later on, it will make sense. You just need to let it sit there and ask people that you trust who actually love God's Word to help you understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think what I like that you said, too, is when you when it doesn't add up to how you would like it to and i think that's the key is a lot of times the questions we end up having are because we are uncomfortable and not that that's a bad thing but that yeah it's it's making us uncomfortable it's making us question and we don't necessarily want to question we kind of want it to just be completely true like fully with no issues that anybody has but that's not probably going to happen so but i do like that it was yeah when it doesn't add up how we want it to, which shows that it is more of an issue probably with us. But also, lots of people probably have that same question. True. It's probably not a new idea. Sorry. Totes. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. Sounds great. Appreciate. Rate. With a five.